APU. American Public University is proud to present The Everyday Scholar. Hello, my name is Dr. Bjorn Mercer, and today we're talking to Carolina Gammon Cameron, Spanish faculty in the School of Arts, Humanities, and Education. And today our conversation is about the globalization of Spanish and Spanish-speaking culture. Welcome, Carolina. Hi, Bjorn. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Excellent. No, this is great. Spanish is an important language, the second most important language, I guess you can say, in the U.S., and it's been growing ever since. And so having these conversations about Spanish, the culture and cultures, I should say, associated with Spanish-speaking people, because it's not a monolith, is extraordinarily important. And so my first question is, how many countries is Spanish spoken, and how many people speak it? Well, officially, there are 21 countries that speak Spanish currently. And out of that, 572 million speakers of Spanish right now in the world. And it grows very quickly. I mean, it's one of these numbers that keeps growing. But yeah, it's definitely a big number. And it's mostly in Latin America. You have a lot of Spanish speakers. But then in other colonies that were former colonies of Spain in different parts of the world, you also have some Spanish speakers, even in Africa, in Equatorial Guinea. Yeah, I think it's Equatorial Guinea that speaks also Spanish. So it's kind of interesting. They're still continuing the language even after it's no longer a colony of Spain. Yeah, it is weird to think that so many people speak Spanish because of Spain, right. that one little not, not even little, that one large European country that hundreds of years ago, you know, colonized a good portion of the Americas. And so today, if you know Spanish, you can go from the southern tip of Argentina up to the northern tip of Canada and be able to communicate, which is so wonderful. And then also, you know, if you throw in the Philippines. Exactly. Uh, you know, a large chunk of the Philippines speak Spanish. And then, yeah, there is that one African country that predominantly speaks <laughs> Spanish. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, you know, it's one of those trivia things that I think over here we learn because like, oh my gosh, so they speak Spanish. And that leads us to the next question. So for that number, how many Spanish speakers are here in the U.S.? As of now, there's 41 million Spanish speakers in the U.S. And that number is also growing at this point. It's incredible because just a few years ago, it was maybe 35. Now it's 41. And they're kind of spread all over the United States at this point. I think before you could have said that they were more maybe in New York and California and Texas, Florida. But, you know, I'm in Georgia and I mean, you have a lot of native or heritage speakers of Spanish living in Georgia. So it's incredible the amount of Spanish speakers there are. So just to inform people, what does it mean versus native versus heritage? Of course. Good question. So native speaker is typically a, a person that has actually learned the language in school in a Spanish speaking country or it's considered native in that sense. A heritage speaker typically is a speaker or a person that has learned it from maybe not so much in school, but just from speaking to their family. They're usually first or second generation immigrants from a Spanish-speaking country. Typically, it's considered more something that happens in the U.S., where maybe their parents came and then their children are called heritage speakers because they didn't really directly learn Spanish at school in their home countries, but they learned it from their family here in the U.S. Thank you. And so I could then surmise that you would be a native speaker because you're born in Spain and then you probably learned Spanish up until the time you moved over here. Right. I was in school till I think seventh grade. I started here in the U.S. We moved when I was maybe 11 or so. So, yeah, I basically had my first year's primary school, which is what they call it in Spain or elementary school here. I was basically taught in Spanish. So in reality, English is my second language. 
even though now I feel like I'm fully bilingual. So it's kind of interesting because we came at such an age that I was able to accomplish that. It sounds like that's the perfect time to, <laughs> to do that. Oh, no, of course. <laughs> of course. By age 10 or 11, by 10, kids have a really good handle on their first language. And then adding a second language at, at age, their, their minds are so elastic. It's perfect. They are, definitely. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, right on the border, beside San Diego, the largest city on the border with Mexico. And I knew a ton of people who were heritage speakers because they were born in the U.S., maybe even their parents were born in the U.S. And so they knew a good deal of Spanish. But then also sometimes I knew people who were Hispanic origin, but then they didn't know Spanish just because sometimes that happens. I mean, like I could say today, I don't know Finnish <laughs> because I don't know, a hundred some years ago, you know, a bunch of people from Finland decided to come over to the United States. Although I did have some cousins and some aunts and uncles who still spoke Finnish, but really? wow. my part of the family, we don't. That's very interesting. My husband's family is from Finland too. So his mom is Finnish. Yeah. It's a great country up there. Yeah. And so I think that's always important to know, or I would say like, like if you went from Spain to Mexico, you'd speak Spanish, but then it would be a different approach or a different accent. It's only really an accent that it's like phonetically and everything, the language is pretty much the same. We just have basically different words for different things. Some things that we say in Spain, perhaps for them, it's more of a vulgar word. <laughs> so you have to watch out sometimes with certain words. But generally speaking, we understand each other perfectly, you know, and it's really about the accent. And a funny thing about that is that in southern Spain, you have accents that are more similar to people in Latin America, which probably is because a lot of the people that went with the colonizers or the colonies, a lot of them were from southern Spain. So perhaps that's why their accent carried over that southern Spanish accent from Spain. So, yeah, that's interesting. No, you know, it is interesting because what you said also was you'll have heritage speakers in the U.S. more specifically because, you know, yeah, if you go from Spain to Mexico or Spain to Venezuela or Spain to any, you know, Argentina, you're still going from a Spanish-speaking country to a Spanish-speaking country. Exactly. And it's here in the U.S. where you go from a Spanish-speaking country to an English-speaking country where it is a different language. And so, you know, in a lot of the Spanish-speaking world, it's all different accents. You know, and for English speakers, if you hear an English accent, so more of like the Queen's English, right. <laughs> something you'll hear on PBS. Oh, is that fancy English? But then in England, and not even just going from Wales to Scotland to Ireland, which are different accents. I mean, there's different accents in England just from city to city. Same thing in, in the Spanish-speaking world. You'll have a different accent from country to country and then within countries, like you said, between the northern and southern part of Spain. Exactly. And in Spain, you know, you also have like officially four languages. So if you go to my home city in Valencia, you will have people basically having a little bit of an accent in Spanish because of the influence of Valenciana, which is the regional language on Spanish. And sometimes certain words are even, you know, you say certain words differently, like Carlota, which is the word for uh, carrot in Valencia. But generally speaking, in Spanish, it's called zanahoria. So it's a totally different word. You know, so it's, it's interesting, you know, the variations that happen within a small country like Spain. Yeah, it makes me think of Wales and England. Wales has a different language, technically. Exactly. Although maybe sometimes it's hard to understand Scottish people. <laughs> it's still English, but it's a different accent. And so people listening to us, we have accents for other people. It just depends on where you are in your perspective. I'd say our accent is very standard American accent at this point. 
if you listen to us, it doesn't sound like we come from any specific region. And for me growing up in Texas, I did not have a more East Texas accent. I think also growing up in a city and in El Paso, which is as far from Texas as you can probably get, it's easier to have that more standard American accent if you grow up in a city. Right, exactly. Excellent. So this leads us to the next question is, what is making Spanish become so popular as the second most spoken language here in the U.S.? Well, I think it's two parts. You have, obviously, a very large Hispanic population. And that Hispanic population that comes to the U.S. doesn't necessarily just become a part of... I mean, they're American, perhaps, but they integrate, but they still keep their culture. They still keep their traditions. They still keep their language. They still keep, basically, their food their sense of family, like their togetherness. And, you know, they're not fully integrated into the American culture in a sense. So basically that contributes to making a lot of people be interested in what it is that they have that, you know, makes them different. So a lot of music. A few years ago, there was a song that was so popular. I think it was Enrique Iglesias that was singing it, that everybody, what is it, bailando? Everybody was singing the song. I mean, on the radio, they started playing it in Spanish even. You know, so I think through that, the language has grown and people are becoming more interested just because of the culture. I mean, the cultural connections are making people more interested in learning the language. I think that's what was happening, especially in the U.S. Yeah, 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 especially in the U.S. And as somebody born in the U.S., grew up in El Paso, again, right on the border, I should have learned Spanish, but the funny thing about the U.S. is that, you know, English is so pervasive that you don't need to know another language. Versus if you're born in Spain, it would help to learn French right. and English. Or Portuguese. Yeah, or Portuguese, yeah, right there, or Italian or German. Depending on where you want to go in Europe, just because in an hour you're outside of your country and it's a switch to a completely different language. Unless you're, like, I'm in Arizona, where if you drive south in an hour, then you're in Mexico. In most of the U.S., you're just always around English speakers. And if you go up north of Canada, again, more English speakers. But because of these demographic shifts, you know, obviously Spanish is becoming more important. And in my own, the way I look at it in my lifetime, the language I should learn is Spanish. And it's not to say that English isn't important, because it is. I mean, English will most likely be the official language. Of course. Who knows? Maybe forever, for a very long time. But even if it doesn't become the official, it'll be shared with Spanish. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's already kind of considered the second most spoken language in the U.S. anyway. And most people, even around the world, I was reading some things about this, and it said that most people, even in Europe, the language they choose to learn as a second language is a lot of times Spanish. Even in Brazil, people wanted to learn Spanish. I mean, I guess all their neighbors speak Spanish, so they figured we might as well, you know, and it has some similarities to Portuguese. So it's interesting, really interesting to me. Yeah, and if you are an English speaker, say a, a native English speaker, honestly, the best language to learn is Spanish because then you can go up and down all the Americas except Brazil, which you have to learn Portuguese. And then you can go into Europe and with both English and Spanish, you could probably get around a good portion of, of Europe. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah. Excellent. And so the next question is, how do you feel about Spanglish? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I know that it's something that just naturally happens. I mean, I, I'm guilty of also having used Spanglish before, but I try to avoid it as much as possible, honestly. But it's kind of difficult, especially as a teacher of language, it's kind of difficult to see the language being butchered <laughs> or being combined with another language, you know, so it really bothers me. One thing I heard a few years back on TV, somebody calling their wife their wifea, and I'm like, 
What? <laughs> Is that a new word? <laughs> but, you know, I guess, and then it, they were speaking in Spanish. And they were saying, mi wifea, my wife. Seriously, you just took an English word and kind of made it into Spanish. And now it's become Spanglish. I mean, it, you understand it because it's easy to understand it, especially if you speak English. But at the same time, it's... What is it? You know, it's becoming a different language that's not really one thing or another, you know, either speak Spanish, speak English, or I would even prefer for people to use some specific terms in Spanish that are adopted directly from English and use them in English into Spanish, because a lot of those words have been adopted into Spanish, like technology words and medical terms and stuff that just basically everyone shares the same term. I'd rather have that than have Spanglish, <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit of a purist when it comes to the language. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. I think as academics, we like precise language versus vernacular. Again, there's nothing wrong with vernacular. If there's a certain style of a language you speak, again, that's totally fine. However, academics always like to be precise because we always like to clearly communicate as much as possible. And there's nothing more complicated, honestly, than communication. And then you throw in a second language and it's even harder. But even in English, people oftentimes use terms, individual terms, incorrectly. Because either they learn it incorrectly or they just think that's the way it is. And when you actually look at the old-fashioned dictionary, which honestly everybody should do, you start communicating clearly. And then if you throw in vernacular or Spanglish, it's that much harder. Again, if people want to do it, great. But when it comes to clear communication, you know, the stodgy rules... They are helpful because then whoever you're talking to will understand you. Exactly. But even the Royal Academy of Spanish, which one of them is in Spain, they're starting to adopt a lot of words that people have basically created. And they're starting to adopt them because they see that so many people use them that they said, okay, we might as well just add them to the dictionary. It's going to become a word. You know, like Bitcoin has become an official Spanish word. Bot has become a Spanish word. There's just so many little terms, you know, that are becoming Spanish words just because they see so many people that are native speakers just using them in everyday speech. They have to keep evolving. I mean, the language evolves. Yeah, I'm assuming a similarity here in the Southwest for sandstorms, we use the word haboob. Oh, really? Wow, interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, we have probably a dozen haboobs every year. Oh, wow. You know, huge sandstorms that come through. And my kids and I run outside and we watch it overtake us. And wow. you know, the sky turns dark. But, you know, I actually need to look at the history of it because I think we started using that term here after the Iraq war and the two Iraq wars because... It's more of, I think, a Middle Eastern term in Middle East. Obviously, it's very big, so I apologize for not being more specific. Interesting. <laughs> but no, you know, on the news, they'll say haboobs or dust storm. They kind of use them interchangeably. And so that's a very small way in which language changes. And I remember talking to someone who is not in the Southwest, and they're like, well, what do you call haboobs? Dust storms. I'm like, oh, yeah, they are dust storms. We call them haboobs here. It's <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing. As we all age, we do observe that language does change. And terms that sometimes that were a little more, you know, vernacular become more official. And that's just how it goes. Exactly. And so today we're speaking with Carolina Ganim Cameron, and we'll be right back after a short break. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why, as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University. Within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. And we are back with Carolina Ganim Cameron. 
And so this leads us to the next question is, what about words in English being used to replace Spanish words in many fields, including medicine, technology, and others? What are the long-term negative effects of this? And are there any positives? I think the positive effects of this is that everybody can share the same word worldwide. So a lot of these words honestly come from English, and they're adopted into Spanish, and they become words in Spanish. So I think that that creates, you know, a better understanding when doctors or people that are in different fields of business are communicating with each other. They can actually communicate with people from all over the world and everyone will understand exactly what they're talking about. The negative effect of that, I think, would be that you're losing basically that Spanish word that is probably very good <laughs> and it's beautiful. And we have a word for whatever it is that they've basically adopted from English. Maybe not necessarily in all words, because the technology words, I think a lot of those have come directly from English and no one has even tried to make them into a Spanish word. But for those words that we do have a Spanish word for certain words, it's kind of sad that they're going to just be lost. You know, I don't think future generations will even know what they are, because if the parents of this future generation don't really say those words now, imagine, you know, in 30 years, I mean, no one's going to know the Spanish word. It reminds me of when I'm... <laughs> I'm talking a lot about dictionaries today. And I find archaic words that we don't use anymore, you know, and then if you use it, it's almost like you're using a very specific term and terminology that you're using just because you want to use it, not because people understand it. Now, being from originally Spain, how does Spain approach English words being added to the overall language? Because I know in France, they're very specific about French words all the time, which again, France can do whatever they want. <laughs> but part of that is France also fighting the influence of English. And so is Spain as adamant against certain English terms being added to the overall usage? Unfortunately, not at all. And I say unfortunately because every time I go to Spain and I walk around the city or I walk around and see the stores, basically half of everything that's written on the in the stores or in the streets or maybe not the signs, obviously, the street signs, but mostly in the shopping centers and things like this, are half English, half Spanish. I mean, it's horrible, <laughs> you know? It's like, um, I remember one place in Valencia that has a shoe, it's a shoe store. And that's another thing. Some of the translations are not done correctly. So what you find is that they're doing, like they're spelling things wrong in English and you're like, oh my gosh, you know? And even that's one step further. Like, I think there's um, the shoe store that I was telling you about in Valencia that says, man floor downstairs. Okay, there's shoes maybe downstairs, but just the way they wrote it, you know, it just sounds so strange, man floor. I mean, am I going to find a man in the bottom floor of this door? You know, seriously. I mean, you don't think shoes, but they think it's cool. Like even the kids say things always like words in English. They're speaking Spanish. All of a sudden they throw an English word in there. It's like, oh, I'm so cool. I can speak English, you know. So, yeah, Spain is not, not a good example for trying to keep their language. <laughs> So here's a question. There, there's some in the U.S. who will say, you know, the U.S. needs to speak English. It's the legacy language, the culture, all these different things. And so what's your view on the intermingling of cultures? Now, before I go to that, I think a lot of people in the U.S. and in English-speaking cultures don't quite realize how influential English is around the world. You know, when you speak English and you're in the U.S., you're just like, oh, we're just the U.S. And, oh, look, everybody likes our music. But, I mean, how many Latvian bands do we listen to? <laughs> Zero. I mean, Latvia is a beautiful country. It's, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, those three gorgeous little Baltic states. However, 
the U.S. and English has an outsized influence on the world. Many, 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 many reasons why. <laughs> Historic reasons and current reasons. But, you know, what's your perspective on somebody who so fluently speaks both Spanish and English on those influences and the culture's kind of not melding, but collaborating, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's the way the world is moving. People are always moving now. Like, they can move so easily from one country to another. There's always a huge amount of people that are moving to the U.S., for instance. So it's something that's in inevitable. I mean, you're going to have this intermingling no matter what. It's just a matter of understanding that our world is evolving, you know, and we can't stay in one place and you have to kind of accept it. I mean, there's people that don't want to accept the fact that other cultures are coming into the United States and bringing their own things with them, you know, their own music, you know, words. But I think it's a matter of knowing that it's something that we have to accept because it's just the way the world is going. We can't stop this. Do you think that, and this is a, a general question and not an easy question to answer, do you think Europeans, like somebody who's from Spain and has neighbors two specific neighbors, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you go out a few hundred more miles or kilometers, a dozen neighbors, do you think Europeans have a better understanding of what it means to live in a pluralistic area, you know, where there's many different peoples, many different languages versus the U.S. where it's like, well, we have Canada and oftentimes U.S. people will think, oh, it's just Canada. <laughs> and then there's Mexico. And that's not to include the Caribbean, but there's, you know, there's water in between all the Caribbean countries. Of course. Do you think there's something that we could learn from that European perspective? And, and you could also throw in Africa where there's, you know, there's so many African countries and there's just clusters of countries where they have to get along. They have to understand each other. They have to learn each other's languages to exist where here, over here we're like, we know English. <laughs> I just think it's just the geography in a sense, you know, the United States is so big. You have basically the whole country speaks English. They speak the same language. They don't feel like they need to learn another language. But they realize a lot of people when they travel abroad that it's so important because unfortunately you go to some countries and they'll say, oh, there comes the American. And they'll know because that person probably is not even trying to speak the native language or doesn't know any other language other than English. So, yeah. And I mean, in Europe, it's normal. Like most people in school, like my mom and her age or at the time that when she was growing up, they were learning French. But now the children in Spain are learning English. And I mean, there's such a big movement for the parents, you know, when they're in school to get their kids in these English classes and they have to learn English. And a lot of them, when they graduate from the university or even high school, they actually speak fluently and they know how important it is because English is, in a sense, the language of business. So especially if they're going and going to the university and getting a degree and and they want to connect with the rest of the world, they know that they need English. They'll be left behind if they don't know English, even if they know Spanish, which is such a you know, it's spoken in so many places, but they know English is also very important. So in a way, it's a little bit sad, you know, that in the U.S. it just doesn't happen. I mean, I think a few years ago here in Georgia, they were saying that they were going to cut back the funding for the public school system for language. And I'm telling myself, like, my goodness, you know, how can you do, how can you do that? You live in the world, not just in the United States, you know. It is. Yeah. I always think of the original lingua franca, <laughs> you know, which was French, the international language for hundreds of years was French in Europe, of course. So we're specifically talking about Europe and the Western world here. But English has supplanted French as the lingua franca. And now it's a common world language. Again, 
there's a whole series of podcasts we could do about why. <laughs> <laughs> Um, why that is. It just didn't happen overnight. You know, many countries contributed to that. But, no, you know, it is one of those things where it, it would be nice if Americans in the U.S. would learn another language. And the most obvious one is Spanish. Such a large portion of the U.S. is now Hispanic and can speak Spanish. And just by doing that also, it opens you up to different cultures. It opens you up to different ideas. It even just the process of learning a language makes your brain Take in more or just understand where things came from or even just, again, dictionary. We're all about dictionaries today. Where certain words come from, just by learning all those ideas and those, that information, it helps you understand the world. Exactly. It's fascinating. Uh, another thing I experience a lot lately is when I watch the news, sometimes just because I know Spanish on the news, specifically on CNN, I don't know why they do it on CNN and not other <laughs> places, but they use words that perhaps the general population may not necessarily use or understand uh, or not an everyday word, I should say, in English. And it, for me, just as a Spanish speaker, I immediately say, oh, wow, I know that word. And it's mostly because in Spanish, that word is a very common word. <laughs> it's an everyday word that you use in Spanish. In English, it's a more sophisticated term. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how that happens as well. Yeah, yeah. News organizations, again, completely different <laughs> series of podcasts. But, you know, whenever anybody communicates, they should use the absolute simplest version to clearly communicate. It's tough when you have media organizations that do try to be sophisticated. And sophisticated, or I should say, the desire to be sophisticated shouldn't trump the desire to clearly communicate with everyone. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Because probably a lot of the population is not catching or understanding what exactly it is that they're saying. Exactly. And, you know, it took me many years to learn that because I always thought sophistication is the way to go. You know, use fancy words and hoity-toity stuff. And then you realize that, well, if I do that, only a small percentage of the population will understand and a larger percentage will be turned off because they're like, well, what do you, who are you? What are you trying to do? <laughs> exactly. And just by using clear, concise language and not using terms like WIFA, <laughs> it helps you communicate. Again, people can do it, but you know. It hurts my ears. Yeah. It's not standard. Not yet. Who knows? Maybe in 10, 20 years, it will be. It might be the way things are going. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Well, absolutely wonderful conversation. Any final words? Um, no, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to speak about my culture and basically just what I've experienced growing up here in the U.S. and being Spanish descent. So it's interesting what I've seen. And, you know, when I came to the U.S. initially, like in Georgia, they thought we were Mexican. They didn't really realize that there's many other countries that speak Spanish. And now, you know, at least in Atlanta, there's such a huge amount of people that speak Spanish. And it's interesting just to see how things have developed and just in the U.S. over you know, the last 25 years. It has. It has. And I think more people realize that there's more to the world than just two things. <laughs> the U.S. and Mexico. There's more to the Spanish-speaking world than just Mexico. Exactly. And, you know, oftentimes all you have to do is just say, hey, where are you from? And then you'll be like, oh, then you'll learn. And then you'll get course, whenever you talk to people, ask questions. And then you just learn more about the world and the people you're talking to. And so absolutely wonderful conversation. Today, we're speaking with Carolina Gammon Cameron about the globalization of Spanish and the Spanish-speaking culture. And of course, my name is Dr. Bureau Mercer, and thank you for listening. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU, American Public University.